Folks, let me add my welcome to that of Pamela's this morning as you gather here with us. We've made it. We're our last Sunday here. Next Sunday, we will be back uh, in the main church building after our, our time away, but we'll mention more about that later. Uh, I hope you've all been able to calm down after the events of yesterday. If you've been following the Olympics, you will know that it was an unbelievable day uh, for Team GB in the gold after gold after gold medal that they won. And uh, hopefully that has been a little bit of light relief for you in the middle of the summer uh, as you've been watching the Olympics. If this is your first Sunday with us this summer... Not only do we welcome you, but we want to let you know what we've been doing. Pamela mentioned it, that we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, making our way through it to see what we can learn together. We've entitled it 57 Words That Change the World, 57 words in the original language uh, in Greek, uh, and we now see it in English uh, as the Lord's Prayer. We've come to the halfway point. The first uh, three petitions of the Lord's Prayer out of the six are directed at God about his kingdom, Uh, his name, his kingdom, and his will. And now we come down to earth as we think of petitions for ourselves. One thing we haven't mentioned over the past number of weeks, whenever Christoph started this series, he gave us a little bit of a challenge. Can you remember it? And if you can, I wonder how you've been going with it, that each week, each day of the week following the service, we would pray through the Lord's Prayer up to the point that we've got to in our series, starting off with our Father. Continuing the second week, uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then last week, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know how you, that, if you've remembered at all, if you're like me, maybe it has slipped from time to time from memory. But if you have been praying it through, and as we've been learning together, I hope that it has been an encouragement to you as we begin together to pray this prayer that so easily trips off the tongue, that is so familiar to many of us, that we don't think about it. But hopefully now we are starting to think about what it means to pray this prayer that Jesus taught us. So let's take a moment and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, May your name be holy across this earth. May your kingdom come. May all your goodness be here with us now as we wait for that day when you will call us into that kingdom. And may your will be done, not ours, but your will as it is found in heaven. May it be so on earth. And Father, this morning we recognize and we come to recognize you as our provider. So help us. Help us to see that everything comes from you. Continue to work in our hearts and in our minds as we desire to follow you each day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the fourth petition, it's moving us. It's moving us from directing our prayers about God to asking him for ourselves. So the pronoun changes from your, changes from your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it will now change to give us, help us, be to us our God. So the fourth petition moves us really from the heavenly realms of of our thinking about God down to earth. 
But I wonder, have you ever thought if there's anything that's too small, too obscure, too mundane to bring to God in prayer? Do we ever feel that there are some things that we just don't bring to God because we can do it ourselves? We can manage to fix things here on earth without him. I would say that, as we said last week, praying for God's will is probably the easiest thing to pray and miss its, its significance. So this is easy to pray over, uh, completely ignoring God's rule in our lives. We think that we can sort it out ourselves because our culture tells us that we can. We live in a culture that teaches us how to consume and to take each day for granted. Whenever you think about what your week looks like, you may have one or two visits to Tesco's, Sainsbury's, or Marks and Spencer's, and there you will find everything you need under one roof. It used to be, even whenever we had Woolworths about the place, you would at least have to go there for your stationery. But now everything is filled under the one roof of these major supermarket chains. If you're quite good in your shopping, you can do it in 30 minutes, get in, get out, talk to a few people along the way, to the nice person at the checkout, and out you go. But more and more, these supermarkets are teaching us, no, do your supermarket sweep. Do it Mission Impossible style. You know, the way that men shop. Know what you want. Go in, get it, get out again, and that's it. Try it at home and bring it back if it doesn't suit and all that. They want us to do Mission Impossible shopping. They don't want us to communicate with anyone. So they've provided us tills where we can beep our products through ourselves. Or you can get it delivered right to your door from the comfort of your settee. You can place your order through your computer. Culture is teaching us how to consume. It's teaching us that we think that we do things ourselves. Rather than how God would have us think, which is depending on him completely for everything. If you've been part of a discipleship group over this past year, you'll have joined us in reading A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. Tim Chester challenges us to think more seriously about what it means to consume, mainly to consume food and how we do that together. And the premise of the book is that food was a key part of the ministry of Jesus. Chester starts out by saying that as Jesus lived on this earth, his his public ministry for three or so years, he was either going to or coming from a meal. Jesus' ministry uh, was all about spending time with people around a meal table. So Jesus used food and he used these moments of hospitality to communicate the message of the kingdom. Chester says we shouldn't just relegate food as fuel. We must recognize that it comes directly from God as his good. He challenges us to say that we've actually lost touch with food. On one of my teaching practices in England, uh, I was placed in a school that was a housing estate school. In other words, it was the school and a community center in the center of this circular housing estate near Barnsley in Yorkshire. And I taught business studies. And we were talking one day about production and the chain of production. And coming from Northern Ireland, I thought, well, there's nothing more basic than milk. And so we thought through what was the chain of getting milk into our cereal bowls. For the kids, there was just two stops. One was Sainsbury's or Tesco, and the other was their bowl. 
Whenever they heard that it came from an animal, that it came from a cow in a field with muck, manure and everything like that, they were absolutely disgusted. But it just doesn't stop in England. Subconsciously, we have forgotten where our food comes from. We've lost touch with it. We don't recognize food as we should. So as we think about how we can engage with what God gives us, we've only touched on food, but we'll see that it's much more than food. We're going to look at it in three ways and break up this petition into three sections. The first being give, the second, us, and the third, our daily bread. So let's start with the invitation where we say give. We're asking God to give us something. What did you have for breakfast this morning? If it was our house, it was rather rushed to try and get out in time. Uh, There's no such thing as a leisurely Sunday breakfast in our house. But your tea, Tetley, Banjana, probably came from India. Your toast, your jam and your butter, probably somehow connected to Northern Ireland, Ireland or the rest of the United Kingdom. What about your cereal? possibly grown on the the major agricultural states in America. Your orange juice, possibly from Spain. If you are someone who enjoys a good fry on a Sunday morning, hopefully that all came locally, but we just don't know for sure. I have a friend who works in Moy Park and says the majority of Moy Park chickens that goes into Tesco's come from Brazil. We don't always know what we're eating or where it's from. So where do you think your food comes from? Another answer might be, well, my food came from Tesco, or it came from Sainsbury, or Marks and Spencer, or wherever you locally shop. It was purchased. You went, you physically picked it, you got it, you cooked it, you put it on the table, and you've consumed it. I don't think that's the right answer either. It's one of these Sunday school answers. Where does your food come from? Ultimately, it comes from God. We cannot take God out of the equation when it comes to what we consume. And so this petition invites us, or invites God to give us what we need. In our minds, it focuses us in on God as the provider. It's part of his goodness to give us what we need. The story in Exodus is an amazing story. It's about this group of people, the children of Israel, who suffer from a a condition that we see time and time again, short-term memory loss. It's the significant factor in the story of the children of Israel. They keep forgetting. It's a fascinating story that God hears their grumblings. He says, I'm listening to you, and you're grumbling that it was better to be in Egypt than it is to be in my way and in my will here in the wilderness. They've forgotten how bad Egypt was, lives as slaves. All they're focusing on is what their tummy's telling them. We had meat plentiful in Egypt, and now you bring us here to die of starvation. To this point so far, without thinking of the rest of the story, what has happened? God has miraculously brought them out of Egypt in the most unbelievable and the most supernatural way. By God coming himself through the angel of death to release them from Egypt. They were able to look behind them and see the Egyptian army swallowed up by the waters so that they wouldn't be chased. 
They've forgotten it all because here they are grumbling because there's a little rumbling in their tummies. God says, I hear you. And I'm not just going to provide any food for you. I'm going to provide food that's going to show you how good a God I am. So miraculously, God says, I'm going to send bread from heaven, manna. And in the instance of the story, that night was going to be quail on the ground. But each day they would be able to go out and and pick what they needed. No one would have too much. No one would have too little. It would all be shared equally in the community for each of their needs. But in the evening, it had to be consumed. Because the next morning it would be rotten. Because God proved his love by saying, tomorrow you're going to depend on me to do this all again. And he did. But the people forgot Some hoarded it and kept it away and opened it the next morning and it was full of maggots. And God said, just to show you something else amazing, you see on the day before your Sabbath, the Sabbath that is a gift to you, you collect double and it's going to stay good. This was God's unbelievable goodness to his people. The provider God sent manna that would keep over the Sabbath, even though in the other days it would go rotten. God says, this is my goodness for you. You see, the people listened to the words of God, but they didn't believe them. They thought they knew better. And it strikes me that we are people who suffer from short-term memory loss as well, in this sense. In this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we invite God to provide, yet we never acknowledge him for his provision. We think that we are our own providers. We think that it all comes down to what we have in our bank accounts. I have earned my money either directly in my job or my pension because of the years that I have worked. And we think it's about the money in our accounts rather than saying that even that is what God has given us. We think that because we physically go and buy the food, we are the providers of the meal. Because we prepare it and consume it, it's all about us. We seem to leave God out of it except sometimes for that casual prayer at mealtimes because we feel it's the thing that we should do. In that book that I mentioned earlier, Chester challenges us to recognize the provision of God and his faithfulness to provide. And there's a wonderful example in A Meal with Jesus that he gives, where he recounts the creation of food and all the good things to eat. It's the end of day three in creation. God saw the provision of seed-bearing plants and trees, and he said that it was good. That one instant he said, it's good. And then he showed to us that he could do it again. And again, and again, and again. And every day since, God has been doing it. He said, it's good, let's do it again. This is God's creation plan. That his best, that his good would be for us as he provided and provides for us. It's an amazing picture of what God is doing actively today. Not something however many years ago. But right here, right now, God in that moment said it was good. And he's been doing it ever since. So how do you recognize God as the provider? Do you include him in every aspect of living? Or do you just reserve him for the crisis moments in life when you can't cope or do anything for yourself? And so you seek divine intervention. The divine intervenes every moment of every day as we receive the good that he has for us. 
And one of the simplest ways is to recognize and acknowledge this goodness by giving thanks as we all continue to trust him for what he will give us. Is a prayer at mealtimes too much to ask? Could those prayers become the moments of the day in recognizing God as the one who gives us everything and we cannot depend on ourselves? So that's the invitation in the fourth petition, give. We move on to us, give us. Whenever we think of the Lord's Prayer, we think it's a prayer that we pray. We pray in the silence of our hearts or in the quietness of our homes, and at times we do it publicly. We also think that we, whenever we consume what God has given us, it's about us. But in this petition, God is saying, it's not about you. There are others who have been involved in the process of getting goods to us. So much of what we consume is not grown or processed in this city or indeed in this island. I haven't seen any pineapples being grown here or sometimes you can grow melons. Cereal crops don't seem to be too good for us. Rice, I think, is impossible. So much of what we take for granted day by day, someone else has been involved to get it to us. It takes the world community to help us access what God has given us through all of his creation. And this is a very biblical view. When we come across images in the Bible of heaven, it shows God's great community coming together to feast and to praise. No one does it on their own. God never made us like that. He made us to be community people. He shows us that heaven is an inclusive community with passages like Matthew 8 verse 11. Many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 25, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for rich, of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. In John's Revelation, chapter 19, we read of the wedding supper of the Lamb. as the, It is the gathering place of those invited through Christ to eat in the presence of the King. God is preparing a feast. A feast for his people where they dine in his presence, knowing salvation full and free. And in this world, he has given us little tasters of that. Even in the celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's around a meal. It's a meal to be shared in celebration. He commanded, Jesus commanded his disciples to remember this as often as they met together. Not to do it privately uh, at home, but to do it publicly with God's people. Communion is a community celebration. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul instructs uh, the church there to come together as they eat to show their common purpose in Christ. So this petition of the Lord's Prayer is about being in the plural, give us. And in that we also include those who don't have. Because we share in the corporate responsibility of caring for those who have little or who have nothing. James writes in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 
And commenting on this passage, uh, the author Philip Ryken says that getting daily bread for yourself may seem like a physical matter, but giving daily bread to others is a spiritual matter. And an early church theologian called Basil the Great said, The bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. The shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. The clothes stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we must do as Christ does. And so as we pray the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we are remembering that we are part of this great community in the world and in the church. And we are to recognize our part in helping those who have nothing. So give us, and finally we ask for our daily bread. Let me take you once more to church history, to Martin Luther, the great reformer, who commented on this. He was answering a question about what this means. Daily bread means everything we need for our bodily well-being. He goes on to say that this includes food, drink, clothes, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money and goods, a godly husband or wife, devout children, good workers, honest and faithful leaders, good government, good weather, peace, health, law and order, and honorable, an honorable name, faithful friends, trustworthy neighbors, and he finishes by saying, and things like that. As I read on, it turns out Luther did put it more concisely, and he says, everything needed for the preservation of life. So in Martin Luther's eyes, this is the understanding of what it means to pray for our daily bread. Jesus wasn't just concerned about that loaf of bread that we may have. He was concerned about every aspect of our lives, whether we have influence over it or not. Do you recognize that that list of everything that is needed for life? Is there anything left out? In there are things that we think we can control, and there's definitely things we can't, the weather being one of them. Martin Luther says it's all part of what we're asking when we ask for our daily bread. When you think about it, how do you get a loaf of bread? You need a seed. To plant that seed, you need a farmer. That land needs to have been, uh, whatever a farmer does with it, uh, plow it, scatter it. You know, plow the fields and scatter and all that. Someone had to make the equipment. Someone had to drill for fuel. It takes so many just to grow that little grain. Then someone needs to harvest it. Someone needs to to mill it. Someone needs to get the yeast involved and that growth of the yeast. A baker then needs to come and put it into an oven that someone has made to be transported to you so that you can consume it. And there's others in between. We need weather. We need natural resources. We need people who have strength. We need good governance for taxes just to simply get a loaf of bread. Jesus is saying, whenever you're asking for your daily bread, you're including everything that you need in life. It seems that a lot of our prayers focus on what we want for our daily survival. God has only ever promised what we need 
for our daily survival. And anything that he chooses to give us above that is his blessing to us. Folks, ultimately everything is from God. Our possessions, our food, our money, and our families. Without God, we can have none of these. Philippians 4 verse 19 tells us that God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And now comes the real test of faith. Will you believe that what comes to you, much or little, is God's answer according to the promise of Matthew 6.33? But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And on the basis of believing that passage, will you be content with it and grateful for it? Give us our daily bread. Let me finish up in these last few moments. There's one thing that a lot of the commentators went into that we haven't touched on this morning, but let me take it briefly as we conclude. It's the interpretation and understanding of what this means. Our English language makes it so simple, but if we were to translate it literally, it would read, give us today bread for the coming day. Now, if you're praying that in the morning, the day is yet to come. If you're praying that in the evening, it is for the day that is ahead after the night's rest. God is saying, pray to me as the provider and believe it. Not just in this moment, not just what you've witnessed in the past, but take it with you to believe that it will happen again tomorrow. That was the problem with the children of Israel. They did not believe that God would do it again. But yet God has been doing it again and again every day from the start of creation. So I challenge us all. Do we recognize God as the provider for our daily needs? Or do we see ourselves as our own providers? If we begin to tease that out by thinking that we are our own providers, the path leads us to a place where we become the providers of our own salvation because we do not believe that God can provide for us completely. We come to a place where we depend on what we do for God rather than what he has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is the provider of everything in life. The mature Christian response is to recognize and to know this through prayer and witnessing, telling the stories of God's goodness. What we have is his. And in our common community, we are to use what he has given us, money, possessions, food, time, health, and the gospel to share Christ within this community and to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, you care about every, everything in our lives. Nothing is beyond you. Nothing is too little and nothing is too great. You care about what we have on our tables for lunch. You care about our health. You care about our money. You care about our possessions. You care about the weather. Father, we may disagree that we don't have enough. We think that if only we had more money, it would be better. We think that if we had better health, things would be all right. 
we think if the, the weather was good, it would all work itself out. Father, you give us what we have because we have prayed that your name will be made holy, that your kingdom work will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, as we've prayed for your will to be done. So in your will, give us what we need to survive through this life. May each day we recognize you as our provider of the physical around us and of the spiritual, the provider and the keeper of our salvation. So Father, as we pray this week, as we pray about what it means to ask you for our daily provision of everything in life, in our hearts and in our actions, may we truly display everything uh, that we believe we are praying for, that you are the one who gives it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.